Hello and welcome back to the White Pube podcast. I am so happy to be able to announce the 21st recipient of the White Pube Writers Grant, which is funded by Creative Debuts. This 21st award, uh, we are uh, for this 21st award, we are very excited to support the work of Rutendo D. Bradley. I'm just going to read out a quick bio. Rutendo D. Bradley studied and practiced journalism before undertaking an MA in creative writing. She enjoys writing across a broad spectrum of forms, including contemporary poetry, young adult, children's fiction, short stories and plays. As a keen lover of history, her most recent work, The Devil's King, is her first foray into the genre of historical fiction. With this ongoing project, she hopes to engage characters of diverse ethnicity, some of the forgotten few lost in lesser explored history. So, Rutendo sent us an excerpt from the novel she has started as part of her dissertation, The Devil's King, a project she is now hoping to work on full time. The opening we read was so effective in its world building with its historical language and raw landscape and its intense population of knights and kings and soldiers and the ways that they speak. The chapter also had this kind of fateful promise that this story is just going to be different. It's going to be important. Just hold on. And we loved that and we wanted to read more. So with the help of Creative Debuts, we are glad we can support Rutendo with this month's Writer's Grant. Um, so I'm going to stop chatting in a bit um, and I'm going to let Rutendo take over and she's going to read a bit, an excerpt from The Devil's King. But if you would like to read the text version of this or read along with the audio uh, with the text, um, it is linked on the Writer's Grant page of our website. That's thewhitepube.com slash writer's grant. Um, and it will be linked under this month's Writer's Grant entry. Um, but we like to include the audio because it's just a nice way to listen to texts if you prefer this as a format rather than reading. Like, you know, you get the actual texts in a writer's own voice. Um, but yeah, I'll stop chatting now. I'll let Rutendo take over and then I'll be back at the end to give you some info and like the FAQs for the Writer's Grant if you are thinking of applying. All right, bye! Spring, 1149, the coast of Dorset. It felt like being welcomed into the arms of an old friend. Henry stood at the helm of the ship, the early rays of an awakening sun alighting gently on his eyes. He scoped a misty horizon in anticipation of land, revelling in the crispness of the air, fresh and full of promise. As it had been two years earlier, he was acting autonomously in this latest invasion. The Empress had been left to her retirement in Rouen, the Count to his many exploits within the domain of Anjou. These were parents long wearied by a son whom it seemed no man could subjugate, a son so singular of mind and unrelenting that he would time and time again seek to conquer an entire kingdom whilst not yet at the threshold of manhood. Nay, they often said, still in the throes of boyhood. Yet, for Henry, childhood had never truly existed. He'd always felt ready and more than amply equipped to take back what was stolen, the crown shamelessly snatched by a miscreant uncle, Stephen, self-styled King of England. For this he would not seek any person's permission, by divine appointment, by the sacred right of succession, 
the English crown was his. It had been acquired by his great-grandfather, the great conqueror. It passed, albeit, because of tragedy to his grandfather, the king for whom he'd been named, and it was only fitting that he, the second Henry, possess it now. The theft of the crown by an unworthy usurper rankled him to the point of torture. It sickened and enraged him how his mother, an imperial empress in her own right, had been betrayed and pushed aside by sordid corruption of Stephen of Blois. With the contemptible man's taking of the crown for himself, and the subsequent warring between what became two factions, England was ripped to shreds. This in itself was of a rancour for Henry. What was it that people now came to say of their land? Torn asunder, Christ and all his angels sleep? Indeed, the English soil squelched as a bloody mud pile on which godless slaughter had become commonplace, anarchy that knew no bounds. The soul of any man with a conscience couldn't help but weep, though it was not any man who could see the situation salvaged, or any who could ever hope to restore stability to such entrenched chaos. It had to be him, Henry. The masses thought him still a boy, the young son of a lame she-wolf with little to recommend himself, but he would not be trivialised. He had the heart of not just a full-fledged man, but that of an unimpeachable king. This he knew with clarity and confidence. The shoreline rose to view, iridescent. He breathed deeply, calloused fingers continually working on the tunic buckle, before shifting to impatiently tap at a breastplate. Shoulders rising and falling in steady rhythm to the lapping waves pushing up against the side of the ship, he was both eager and anxious. Things had to move quickly. He had to move quickly. The crown would be his at last. The upcoming knighting ceremony in Carlisle was a first step, a crucial step. My lord, our barges are at the ready. Behind him a knight spoke, one of the largest retinue of servicemen and mercenaries he'd procured with funding from his great-uncle, the King of the Scots, all contingent on plans to unify the Scots against King Stephen. More men had been promised and no doubt awaited him along the shore, slowly creeping into view. He turned to the knight with revived verve. We take our place then. Disembark. The latterly bellowed call to action was a raspy roar carrying on sea breezes, to be echoed a hundredfold when they finally touched land. On beach soils, an uproarious welcome rang out from supporters watching and waiting for just such a healing presence. Many were wearied by the continual bloodshed and lawlessness run rampant. Many reduced to dread-filled shells, desperate for restoration. Henry Fitzempress was their hope embodied, and they lauded his return. Henry himself stoically shouldered this hope. Their applause sparked fresh energy in him. It was a lightning bolt to his bloodstream, igniting in him fierce flames he knew could never be extinguished. Yes, he'd been a boy once, two years ago when he'd first besieged these shores. And true, the disintegration of that expedition had been notable in its failure. 
but it had only taken that harsh schooling combined with 24 months of warfare training with his father to make more of a man of him than Stephen of Blois could ever be, even, even at his considerable age of nearly three score. Nearly three score to Henry's sixteen years. But the aged king would soon learn the measure of might contained in the fiery underbelly of a young Angevin prince. He moved briskly among the throng of armed men. An old ally stood at the fore of the crowd, ready with earnest welcome and renewed fealty. As Henry approached him, the man bowed low to his would-be king. Sir Maurice! Coming to a halt, Henry grasped the shoulder of the English nobleman. Not only did the majority of Norman barons stand staunch in support of his cause, a great number of Anglo-Saxons had been added to their ranks. Maurice's family had been most loyal. It is good to see you, my friend, Henry said affectionately. It is good to have you in the country again, my lord, and not a moment too soon. Maurice rose to his feet. Yonder village, I'm told, there's a scuffle. It may be that the weakling king has had word of your arrival and would wish to prevent your advance. <laughs> not half landed, and we have our first battle already, Henry smiled. We shan't waste a moment. We'll beat these renegades back. Nothing will prevail in keeping us from Carlisle. Onwards! The steed brought to him was dark, sturdy animal draped in the red and gold colours of Normandy, ferocious like the deep yellow twin lions emblazoned on the cloak about his shoulders. The cloak was a gift from Henry's father, Count Geoffrey, and intended to be a reminder of the Angevine heritage raging in his veins. Riding hard from the beach, through the thicket of dewy forests, horse and man synchronised as though they'd been in camaraderie all their life. And as he drew sword in a charge against the enemy waylaying them, the steadfast steed was unflinching as a bearer, carrying him forwards into the heart of conflict. The would-be king proved a forceful rider. Having kept close behind as he could, Maurice tried to dissuade the move. My lord, the men can see to this, he yelled above the fury. I would caution restraint. You need to... But Henry moved forward without any slackening of pace. Restraint was as good as inaction in his view. He'd come to overrun a kingdom. Sharp steel sparked with sharp steel, soon lodging into flesh. Errant hooves struck out, inflicting mortal wounds. Bodies hit moist earth one after the other, and finally, with deadly efficacy, the scuffle appeared well contained. Secure in his side's advantage, Henry allowed a few of his mercenaries to flank him. They were foot soldiers, brutish men who took to their employment with precision. In addition to being skilled swordsmen, they were fierce combatants who oftentimes sheathed weaponry to simply rely on fists and agility alone. From his loftier vantage point, one such fighter caught his eye. The fellow moved with supreme fluidity, bringing down half a dozen men swiftly. A well-placed boot to the chest in combating one adversary, a perfect disarming by a grabbing and a throttle of another, and so it went until the man stood alone, and all who had dared come at him fallen at his feet. Then it was over. Stephen's unwelcoming committee effectively trampled.
Amidst the cheers that followed, Henry dismounted. He beckoned for Maurice. Bring me that knight. Maurice followed his gaze, and sighting who had been marked out, gave a nod. Henry watched the knight brought forward. The man's helmet still covered his head, his sword remaining unsheathed. Sunlight caught and glinted off his armour as he moved. He had a small sort of stature, on which this armour seemed to hang heavily, but as Henry had witnessed only moments before, that fact didn't diminish the speed or agility with which the soldier moved. And now, with the same swift steps, he'd stepped forward to bow before Henry. My good man, thou art a soldier of the highest order. The head remained bowed. A soldier ever in your service, Lord. The voice was soft and mellifluous, a feminine voice. Henry's brows furrowed deeper. The sun breaking in through the foliage seemed to hit harder, its glare all the more striking. The soldier discarded the helmet, letting loose a tumble of errant dark curls. She looked up at him with familiar brown eyes, set in a flushed, deep honey face. To be true, it was as familiar to him as his own image. Its smoothness and delicacy were in sharp contrast to the harshness of attire and surroundings. An influx of sensation ambushed his senses. Instant recollections of a childhood interval. Flashes of swimming in sun-soaked summers, of leafy tumbles in blustery autumn, and play on endless hills of pure white in the winter, of learning the ways of the land and growing to love it. The happiest days of his life. Can I? He said softly. A smile touched the edges of her lips. My Lord Henry, welcome home. Hello, it's me again. So, the White Pube Writers' Grant is funded by Creative Debuts. Creative Debuts is a disrupting and democratising art platform focused on supporting artists and designers from underrepresented communities that may otherwise go under the radar. So as well as being funders for our Writers' Grant, they also do the Black Artist Grant. Info for the Writers' Grant is on our website, but check out Creative Debuts for info about the bag, the Black Artist Grant, and you can find them on Instagram as well. So that's creativedebuts.co.uk and at creativedebuts on Instagram. The White Pube Writers' Crown is a one-off £500 grant to be given out to a different working class writer based in the UK once every month. This grant has been set up to support writers of all ages who are early in their careers and would benefit from this no-strings-attached financial support to help them in whatever way they like, be that money to cover time to write, books, web hosting, printing, subscriptions, research, development, travel, or even just money to fund life expenses and rent. Some writers publish work on their own websites with little to no funding to encourage them. Others pitch to establish publications and if they are lucky, might get paid every once in a while to write for someone else. It's difficult to keep going and harder still to carve out the time to write, which is what writing needs. So we hope this grant will help towards those challenges in some small way. A recipient will be chosen monthly and this grant is open to individuals, collaborations and groups. The writing could be fiction or non-fiction, creative, criticism, whatever it is you're working on. 
the white pupil will be selecting recipients and these will be chosen based on their ongoing research as well as anybody who would like to put themselves forward. Um, there is no formal application process. If you would like to get in touch, please email funding at thewhitepube.com with a very brief introduction to yourself, contact information and of course an example of your writing. This could be text in the body of the email except of the email itself, attached to the PDF or a link to an external website or recording. There is no deadline as this is a monthly rolling grant and the grant does not expect any outcomes or reporting. We do have further FAQs on the writer's grant page on our website so if you have some questions definitely double check the FAQs. Go to thewhitepube.co.uk or .com, either one, forward slash writers grant and all of that information that I just read out, plus the FAQs, plus all of the work of our previous recipients. Um, that's all from me. So I will see you this time next month. Goodbye. <laughs>